Thank you, Pastor John. Well, good morning, everybody. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 this morning. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, we'll read on from there. Uh, So this is part three of what is looking like it's going to shape out to be a four-part message series. You'll remember there was a little uncertainty there at the beginning. Uh, I'm looking forward to next week. Uh, A lot of the themes that we've been working through are things I've been thinking about for a while. Next week in particular is going to be um, discussing... Some some specific ideas, phrases, and things that I feel God has been laying uh, on my heart as the pastor here for, for some time now. So I'm looking forward to next week, uh, but excited, excited about this week as well. Don't worry. <laughs> um, so part three, we've been discussing this biblical idea of of service. What does it mean to serve? It's something that we see discussed a lot throughout the Bible. It's a part of who we are as Christians, but like many ideas, concepts, words that we are familiar with, it's often helpful to break those down a little bit to discuss really truly what they mean, especially in a biblical context and not just perhaps what our own cultures or societies would tell us or lead us to understand. We began with this idea that continues that at the heart of true biblical service is an identity, is a person who is humble. That humility is at the heart of what it means to serve. And likewise, service is really just the idea of humility put into action. It is humility made tangible. We've been looking at some different applications, different ideas associated with that. We're going to continue that today. So read with me, if you will, in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God bless your word to us this morning. It's a tricky passage to preach because there's just so many things in it that we could look at. But we're going to focus on a, on a couple things today. Um, 
one of the things that really stood out to me in the past couple of weeks as I was reading through this passage, it's this idea of Jesus emptying himself. And so often... One of the greatest things that we struggle with when we seek to serve others is that we are still full. So many times when we seek to serve other people, we struggle because we're still full of things like our own desires, of things like our own preferences, things that we think we need to get done. How many of you let's let's see if this let's see if this is a common a common situation. Have you ever been we'll, we'll start out easy. How many of you have ever been running late to something? All right. Good. We'll start out we'll start out with with some connection there. How many of you have been running so late to something that you begin to get worried and anxious and maybe a little frantic, your heart starts to beat a little bit faster. How many of you have ever had that sort of a situation? Yeah. How many of you have ever reached the point where you realize, right, you're, you're running late, you're going to be there 10 minutes after you're supposed to be, but, but maybe you can just make it work and then you go to turn onto the freeway and it's just bumper to bumper traffic car accident, standstill. You thought you'd be 10 minutes late if you could go a little over the speed limit and then you can't even get on the freeway and you realize this is not happening. How many people have had that kind of situation? What's interesting though, in a lot of circumstances, and this is where maybe we'll break free, I've had this happen where in that moment where I realize it's just not going to happen, the anxiety disappears. Has anybody had that experience? Right? Where where now, instead of being late, I'm not going to make it to the meeting or event or whatever. I'm not going to make it at all. And yet, the anxiety disappears because no longer am I putting the pressure on myself. I turn around and I just slowly drive home or go to whatever the next thing was. And all of a sudden, even though my situation is worse, I feel better. Now, there's probably a, a number of different ways we can think about that, but for me, it reminds me of something that I see in this passage, because in that moment, we empty ourselves of the expectation that we're going to arrive on time. We empty ourselves of the of the idea that we need to accomplish something, we take the pressure off of ourselves. And so even though our situation has, objectively speaking, gotten worse, our experience is now less stressful. We're going to come back to this in a little bit, but we're going to start there. There's something that I've thought about, and I've thought this for a number of years. As I've, as I've looked at the church generally, this goes far this goes back far before new beginnings was even a, a thought that I would end up here back to my time in Wolcott. I spent 
a decent amount of time in Vermont, meeting with some leaders from other churches, uh, trying to begin to work with some other area, kind of local, small, rural churches. There was unfortunately never really anything that stuck and that kind of continued on the way I had hoped it would, but there was a period where I was starting to try to reach out to work with some other congregations. As we in Wolcott were an old, an old church in an old building that had been around for a while that at one point hadn't been doing well and we had really turned things around. We had a number of young families and young couples and there were so many other churches in our area, these small country churches on a corner somewhere that that were really struggling, had a hard time finding pastoral staff, had a hard time reaching younger people, trying new things and and reaching out to try to work with those churches. And I spent a lot of time talking with the leadership of those churches and being involved in their services. And I began to notice something. It's a very simple concept, but, but ultimately what I realized was that churches will grow Churches will grow in the demographics and areas that they serve. And so the the churches that would cater to a certain age group would grow among members of that age group. And the churches that would serve those who were of a younger age group would grow among the younger age group. And it's a simple concept, and it almost... I don't know, as I say it out loud from the front, it seems incredibly unprofound. But it's just something that I've, that I've witnessed, is that if we, if we say we want this type of person to be a part of our church more, we don't target that person, we don't tell that person that they should come to church. What we do is we serve that person. Are you with me? You can not be with me. Just nod up and down or side to side. <laughs> if everybody disagrees, that's fine. We'll keep talking about it. But just give me. All right. I'm 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 missing I'm missing Keith this morning. Keith is my head head nodder. He always nods his head one way or the other, so I know. Can I move can I move on? Did that make sense? All right. So as a church, if we say, man, we really feel like we're not reaching this certain group of people, whether it's, it's age, whether it's economic differences, whether it's race, whether whatever, whatever it is, whatever it is that we as a church think to ourselves, we're not, we're not reaching this group, this group isn't involved in our church body, the simple solution is that we need to serve that group. And as we've discussed throughout this message, service is at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus because that was the definition of his nature. So it makes sense. But the question is, well, well, what does it mean to do that? How do we do that? How do we serve? And often we will do things that to us feel like service, but to the other person feels like they're still serving us. 
This is, and this is where we get into trouble. So often we will do things for other people as if, and feel like we are serving them. But in reality, what they end up experiencing, and if you were to ask them, and if they were to answer honestly, they would feel like they're serving us. Let me give you an example of this, not from the church. Have you ever gone to someone's house or maybe gone to a grandparent's house and they spend all afternoon making you their signature dish that you can't stand? Has anybody had that experience? Yeah? Does anybody want to shout out the name of a dish that you have eaten that someone has made you that you didn't like because you knew they were proud of it? Is anybody going to be brave enough to do that? Corned beef and cabbage? There we go. Chili? Chili? I made you chili last week. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I didn't, I didn't make him. Tough crowd today. Okay. I didn't make Brian chili. So you've had that experience, right, where someone works for hours and hours and hours to make you a dish, and you can't stand it. And so you just gulp it down, right? You're not enjoying yourself. They feel like they were serving you. But ultimately, you ate the food that you couldn't stand to avoid hurting their feelings, to avoid making them feel bad, right? And I'm not saying that either one of those things are right or wrong. I'm not saying, well, you should tell them how you felt about it. That's a different, that's a different thing. In that moment... You have two people that both feel like they are serving the other. And perhaps both of those people are wrong. Perhaps both of those people are right. We're not going to get into it. But in that situation, you understand that the person doing the cooking believes that they are serving. But because they're not giving you, they're not giving the person eating what that person wants or needs, it ends up doing the opposite. Now, in a mutual, friendly relationship, that works fine. If it's your grandmother that is cooking for you, you love your grandmother, you want to serve your grandmother, and so you do that willingly. At the same time, if you had someone that you had just met, and every time you went to their house, they made you something that you thought was terrible, and they insisted that it was delicious, and they didn't want any feedback, you would probably just stop going to that person's house for dinner, right? Because you're not going to begin a relationship with a person when they are continuously asking you to serve them by eating their terrible food under the guise of them serving you. And if, maybe if you said, well, hey, why don't you come to our house next time so we can cook for you? Like you've been so kind to cook for us these, these five times, and it's been so great to have corned beef and cabbage just five weeks in a row. Thank you. You're so kind. But can we please, please, can we host next week? And they said, no, 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 absolutely not. Because we love to serve other people and we love to help other people and uh, this is just the thing that we do to be nice. So why don't you come over again this week for some more? You would just stop going to that person's house. Because right? you'd say, look, 
you keep inviting me over under this guise of you doing something nice for me, but it's actually not giving me what I need. So I'm just not, not going to go. I believe that we can fall into this in church as well. That we can, when we, especially when we get stuck on the way we've done things, especially if I'm just thinking about what I need and what is helpful to me, we can attempt to serve others with the best of intentions, with the best of intentions, with the best of motivations, but if we are not providing what people actually need, and I'm not, and again, this is, this is something I've thought and prayed about for a while. This isn't, this isn't I came here, saw the way we do things, and came up with this whole thing, all right? Generally, I have seen throughout my life, especially as I have visited churches all around the country, I've seen so many churches that will say, well, we do this. And I think that makes so much more work for the parents. They say, we do this kids program. And I say, man, if I brought my kids to that program with the way our schedule is right now and the things I have to do, that would make so much more work for me as a parent. Or they say, well, we do this for, for, for families and, and it's just, it's not things that are actually helpful. I've seen people say, I wish my kids would come to church and really what they're saying is that is that they want their kids to come so they can enjoy their kids' company. And what I hear in that is you want your children to come to church to serve you. You don't want your kids to come to church primarily so that they will receive what they need because all of the reasons you gave, all of your language was talking about what you need. I had a woman once in a church, I, I, um, I guest spoke at this church, and um, we brought, at the time I think we just had Emma. And we brought Emma, and it was wonderfully nice people, but it was very liturgical. I spent more time for that service looking up the things they asked me to prepare for the service than I did actually writing my message, because there were so many liturgical things from a different tradition that I'd never heard of before. And, and we went, and, and, and they, had some, they had some coloring sheets for the, for the kids to play with, which was really nice. Um, but it was just really tiring for us as parents to try and figure out what was going on and when would we stand up and when do we sit down and, and this and that. And then I spoke to this woman and she talked about how she's, she's just always trying to get her, her, her daughter and her daughter's kids to come to church. And her daughter never comes to church and she's always calling and telling her she should come. And she said, she said, yeah, my daughter just said to me, she's really tired. 
and she needs to rest on the weekends, and I, I just know that she needs to be in church. And I remember thinking to myself, your daughter just told you exactly what she needs, and your church is giving her the opposite. Because we have a world that is running parents ragged. We have a world that is exhausting parents. Being a parent, being a parent is always hard. Right? I'm not up here to say that it's harder than it used to be. It's tiring, though. And it's little things. Let me give you an example. When I was growing up, the TV decided when TV shows were on. Right? Which meant I would come home from school and there was like a two or three hour period where there were cartoons on the TV. And at five o'clock, when it was about time to start getting ready for the next day and sitting down to eat dinner, the cartoons would go off and the news would come on. Right? We all remember those days. I think most of us remember, right? At five o'clock, the cartoons turn off, the news turns on. I didn't like watching the news as an 11 12-year-old kid. So you turn the TV off because the news is boring and you go get ready. Now, who decides what shows are on? The parents do. Which means if my kids want to sit and watch some TV and then it's time to turn the TV off and get ready for dinner, who has to be the bad guy? Parents. It I, I almost feel silly using this as an example, but when I sit and look at my life, it is a huge problem for parents. It really is. Because at least two or three times a day, if I let my kids watch TV for short periods at different times, I have to be the bad guy. I have to be the one to turn the TV off. And so rather than our world structuring our family's daily life in a way that is supportive and helpful, I have to have one more fight with my kids about what they're going to do. It's a little thing, but you multiply it out a hundred times, and it's an, exhausting, it's an exhausting day and age to be a parent. So this woman's daughter told her, and I heard it in that statement, man, if that, if that young, and I think she was a single mom, if she could come to a church that would give her rest. I bet she'd be there every Sunday. But I'm sitting in this church as a parent that's there with my spouse, who's a pastor who's very committed to being in church, who values church above so many other things in my life, and, and, and I'm leaving feeling exhausted. And not just because I was guest speaking and everything that goes along with that. It was just... It was an exhausting service to be in with kids. And so this church that was week after week after week mourning the loss of their children and their grandchildren was really asking their children and their grandchildren to come to church and serve them because they weren't willing or they just didn't understand what they needed to change to serve those younger generations. And scripture tells us, says, 
It starts by saying in verse 3 in Philippians 2, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And then it goes on and it says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, do I think that church and a lot of other churches were being conceited and selfish? Do I think that those churches were just being evil and self-centered? I don't think so. But we also have to recognize that as human beings, it's very easy to see our own needs. It's very difficult to see the needs of others. And in reality, if you are not going out of your way, if we are not going out of our way to put ourselves in other people's shoes, to ask other people questions about what they need and what they desire, we will never understand what it is that they require. That I'm not going to just stumble into an understanding of what someone from an older generation needs in church. So if you're a generation or two older than me, I'm not going to be able to just, off the top of my head, understand what it is that you come to church for. I won't be able to just, from my own knowledge, understand how I can best serve you. I need to ask. Something that we've had to teach our children, especially as they get older and into their teenage years, is that this idea that, <clears throat> that helping someone is only helping if you ask them what they need. Because our kids, more and more as they get older, will try to help us and they just come and start doing something, right? And it's not always helpful. I mean, you, you, you get this first when they're little kids and then it's really, really cute because um, they'll do things like, hey, I made dinner for you guys. I threw a bunch of eggs across the room into the oven and then turned it on, right? Like, that's a bit much. Uh, but when our kids are little, they do those like, and they, they're just not even close, right? But then they get older and they'll do things like say, hey, I just deep cleaned this room for you guys. And we say, oh, we were about to tear out the drywall in that room. Right. Right. And that's not helpful. And, and so so then then the kid comes to us and say, well, I did all of this work cleaning this room. You say, well, that's that's nice, but we didn't need that to be cleaned in this lesson that we've we've realized we've had to teach. And it took us a little while. It took especially having getting kind of thrown into having a teenager. It took us just being frustrated a lot to figure out how to articulate this. But we had to learn and, and teach. It's only helping if you ask us first. It's only helping if it's something that we actually need. Cooking a meal for me, if I've already paid for and ordered dinner at a restaurant, doesn't help me. It's only helping, it's only service if the person that we're trying to help and serve actually needs it. So this is a question that we need to ask as a church. 
I was brought here very specifically. I was told by our leadership team that, and I'm just saying this to just have it out in the open. Our leadership team shared with me that our church, they had a desire to reach more young people, to reach more families, to have more young families be involved in the church. And I've recognized over the years that churches who, who say, we want to bring in a young pastor to go get more young people, that churches that have this mentality of, because I've had churches talk to me, and I realize what they're asking is, we want you to come to our church and go convince young people to like the way we do things. That's what they're asking. They're saying, well, if we bring in a young pastor, maybe you'll, maybe you'll show young people that singing hymns with language that they don't understand with absolutely no passion or emotion and like looking like you're being tortured while you do it is actually fun. We want you to come in and convince young people that they should like the way we do things. And that's the wrong question. The right question is, hey, we don't really understand. Can you come in and help shape us into a church that loves and serves young families and young people? Can you come in and help us to be a church that provides what the younger generation in our world needs? And that was the attitude that I sensed and saw in our leadership here, which is why I knew that this was going to work. I wasn't going to go somewhere that was looking to do the opposite because it wasn't going to work because I, I wasn't going to do that. And they were really a, a church that just wanted me to come in and, and go out to convince young people wasn't going to like the questions that I asked. They weren't going to like the way I operated, but that wasn't the attitude I sensed here. But church, we need to be intentional about it. And I'm also not going to pretend that, that I have all the answers because I understand a certain part of our culture, but there's an increasingly number of people that can vote that are younger than me. Every year, it's a bigger group. So I don't have all the answers. What I do know is that we need to ask the questions. That we need to look after everyone in our church. And I love that this passage is clear on that. It says, let each of you not look not only to his own interests. And I want to be sure I say this as well. Every person in our church is valuable. Every person in our church has needs that we want to meet. We are not leaving anyone behind entirely in pursuit of another. But it's really easy to look after our own interests. It's a lot easier for me to know when I'm hungry than it is for me to know when you're hungry. Because when I'm hungry, I feel it. If I'm going to know that you're hungry, I have to pay attention. 
I have to pay attention to the way you're acting and are you seeming like you're losing energy and what facial expressions are you making and it's a lot more work to understand the other and we need to be prepared to do it intentionally. There's a lot more in this passage that I don't think we're going to get into it today. Um, I think we're just going to close with a time of prayer. And uh, Sandy, if you could come, where'd you go? Oh, there you are. I'm just going to have Sandy give us some music on the piano. And we're going to go to go to prayer as God's people. Um, I love I love how willing to serve our church is since the day I got here I've been trying to figure out how to articulate what it is that makes our church unique because our church does strange things like have 20 people show up at 2 in the morning to feed a bunch of strangers running a ridiculous race. And what's really weird is how much everybody enjoyed it. And we do crazy things like go up to the racetrack and drive golf carts around in the middle of the summer for people who may or may not appreciate what we're doing may or may not use appropriate language may or may not do a number of other things that I won't mention as we're streaming online and I'm beginning to understand a little bit more of what it is and it really is it's embedded it is full of this idea of just being a church that serves. So I was praying through this this week. I was thinking about how there's so many people in the church. I thought about that church I mentioned earlier too, that woman I talked to. There's so many people in the church that want another movement like the one that came with the person of Jesus. There are so many of us within the church that have this deep desire that we would love to see people coming to faith like they did when Jesus was preaching and ministering on the earth. So many church people want that. What I realized this week was I've got a feeling there's just as many people in the world that want to see a movement like that again. Now, they might have been so turned off to religion that they're not able to say that or articulate that. But if you describe the movement of Jesus without using all of our language in Christian words 
if you said that this person was going to rise up as a leader and they were going to challenge the status quo, they were going to challenge the people who had everything together, that they were going to go to those people that looked perfect on the outside but really treated others with contempt and brought shame upon them, and they were going to hold them accountable. And this person was going to bring healing and hope to people who had no healing and hope. And he was going to speak with kindness to those that everyone else reviled and insulted. He was going to make that power, that ability, that peace available to everyone. He was not only going to treat people the way no one else had ever treated them, he was going to empower all of his followers to do the same. And they were going to start a movement that would make the hopeless feel like there was hope again, that would make the people that thought that they were too far gone feel like they could be a part of something. I think that there's just as many people outside of the church right now as inside that want another movement like the one Jesus started. It's really easy for us to be aware that we want that. I think we forget how much the world wants it. So if we want it to happen and they want it to happen and the power is available through the Holy Spirit, what are we missing? What is it that we're waiting for? And that's where the sermon ends. Because I don't have that answer. It's my job as pastor, I feel, is much more often to ask questions than it is to give answers. I'm not up here, I'm not up here to tell us what to do. If there's one task I have, it's to make sure we're asking the right questions and seeking those answers together. So last month I posed to our, our church board the question of where are we called to serve? And our church board very strongly felt that the answer was in the town of Loudoun. And now we continue to ask questions. So let's take some time as a church here in our last couple minutes. I invite you to pray in your seats. I invite you to come to the altars and we're going to just cry out and say, God, who are we called to serve? How do we serve them? How do we find out what they need? And I have no idea what the answer to that question is. Because from this point on, I'm just a member of our church just like you and we're all seeking together. So let's seek. Father, we open ourselves to you as, as we are about to take a few moments, Lord, I pray that you Reveal your will and direction to us. 
as we are about to enter into a moment, a time of just quiet prayer before you, Lord, I pray that you reveal reveal to us who we need to serve, where we need to go, what you have called your church to be. Father, we know that you are so good. And we know, Lord, that we are not responsible for results. Our call is simple obedience. So, Lord, I pray that in this place that we as a church collectively are able to empty ourselves of of our preferences, of the things that we like, the things that we just prefer, the way the things that that feel comfortable to us, that come natural to us, the things about church that are just the way that we've done things, Lord, I pray that we release those to you. And whatever of those are what you choose to use to effectively build your church, we praise you for that, but Lord, I pray that we don't get so stuck in what we're familiar with. I pray that I don't do anything just because it's the way I've always done it, that I don't get stuck in a preaching style or 
a leadership style because that's what I've always done and that's what's comfortable. But Lord, call me into new things if you're sending me down a different path. Continue to shape me to be the pastor that our church needs tomorrow. That I not be content to just be the pastor that was maybe right yesterday. As we leave this place, as we go into our weeks as individuals, may we look for opportunities to just see others. May we begin to be trained to see with your eyes, to see what others need in addition to what we need ourselves. That you give us the power to see through our physical needs, which are so present. It's so... My, my hunger, my thirst, my loneliness, my worry, my concern, it's all so present. It's so close in front of my eyes. Give me the power to see through that to the needs of others. Because I can't serve others until I understand them. I can't meet their needs until I know and comprehend what those needs are. And we cannot do that without your sight, Lord. May we be a place full of people that learn how to see the needs of others so clearly before us that they might as well be our own. May we love your world. May we live to serve as you came and lived among us to serve us in everything that you did. We follow in your footsteps our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.